Welcome back, everybody, to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. I I feel like we had some sort of a sign or something in the universe yesterday that was like, don't record today. <laughs> so many obstacles for no reason. Baby, we were doing full on help desk. We were doing IT. Like we <laughs> I, we were we were getting our IT degree through like Google's Learning Center. It was crazy. But of course. We persevere. We make it to the other side because we wanted to be here for you guys. It is a new day. It is a fresh story. And as mentioned yesterday, I still have not told you what we're going to do. You still don't know, right? Oh, my God. I literally was thinking, wait, in all of that hullabaloo, did you ever tell me what the <laughs> hell we were actually doing? I don't think. No. I and I specifically avoided it. I specifically avoided it because I was like, I need her to freshly react to this, like blind react to it. I did tell you before we were, I thought we were going to get into it. I was like, you need to brace yourself. And Creepers, you do as well. I know the stories that we cover on here are very dark at times. This is something else. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) I'm like, you know what I was just about to ask you? Is Mercury in retrograde because of all the technical issues we had yesterday? But I think I know now it must be because you're about to really throw me. Oh, you're going to skid on your ass. Like, (laughs) okay. Pavement to ass. Skipping soon rocks to come. With my ass. <laughs> Coming this summer, Pavement to Ass featuring <laughs> Stu. Oh, God. Okay. We're going to do an episode of Creep Time After Dark so bad after this, or the Creepers will at least, which, by the way, is going to come out. We have a brand new Creep Time After Dark that is going to be live tomorrow. That's our second show for anybody who may have missed it on the Christmas episode. But of course, before we get into it, I will just say we always say subscribe and follow the podcast. I know that we say that. It's very helpful, but I will say turning on the bell notification to get those updates for the surprise episode drops, that is huge. It's so good, you guys. Like, If you're on Spotify, do me a viper as we speak, mama. Go and look for that bell and hit it. Ring that bell. (laughs) Ring my bell. I'm just trying to pump myself up so that I know when you inevitably send me into a spiral, I'm, I'm okay. It's going to be bad. And I'm not going to give you a top line yeah. either. It's going to be fast and feel like it's really going to be the worst of the worst today. Oh and maybe I can just say the name because I actually don't think that you know the case, even if I say the name, but any of the creepers who do know it and don't, don't you guys go searching for it. Don't spoil this. Mary Vincent. Any of you guys who know that story, Wait. you know what we're in for. Why do I feel like I actually feel like I've heard that before? Um, it's very possible. It was a very famous okay, case. Okay. But I clearly am not remembering <laughs> And, and no search in pictures. I have pictures geared up for you. I'm going to send you links when the, when the Tommen is right. Okay. I don't want nothing spoiled. Baby, my external monitor is not even plugged in right now. So there's no <laughs> good, shot. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thanks again, everybody, for walking into 2024 with us. We're so excited for all of these insane creep time episodes that we have coming up for you. And thank you again on behalf of both of us for spreading the word in the comment sections on Reddit and with your friends and family to share this podcast and get these stories heard by more people. So with that, I am not going to belabor a second more. No top line. We're getting into it. Are you prepared? I'm holding on for dear life. Do you have anything to drink? I know I had a Schweppes last time, but I'm I'm very dry right now. I've got nothing. You know I got that Sprite Zero on me. <laughs> but again, oh, like last night, intravenous. we're on the last, intravenous. We're on the last sip, but it's there. <laughs> Whew. Okay. So as mentioned, this is the chilling and cautionary tale of a woman who is so famous in the true crime world that her story is still circulated to this day, and it is often marked and referred to as one of the most harrowing. What happened to Mary Vincent in 1978? So let's first just go back in time a little bit and just give you a little bit of backstory about who Mary Vincent was, because I feel like the context of the time period and her background paints a little bit more of the setup as to how this happened. So she grew up with her parents in Vegas, right? Las Vegas, Nevada. And from her childhood and her her upbringing, everything I read was 
fairly unorthodox. She was born in 1963, one among seven children. Could you imagine? Almost minus. I mean, I was one of four, but seven. That's true. Oh, God. But that's what I'm saying, though. Like, four is a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, seven is kind of wild. And also, it kind of seemed like her parents weren't very stable, really. Well, it's, it's not clear from the research, but it sounded like one of her parents was in the military. I'm assuming it was her father because he was a mechanic and her mother worked in the casinos as a blackjack dealer. Now... She had a very strained relationship with her parents from a young age. She was always considered to be a troubled girl, was what they said. Mm-hmm. She became very defiant as she got like a little bit older, right? And she started to get into trouble in and out of school. This is, I think, when you start reaching like the middle school age where you really start taking a turn sometimes, especially if you have a rough home life where you suddenly get a, I don't really know how to describe it, but you almost feel like a separation from your parents and less of a dependency, mm. which I think turns into a rebellion if you feel resentment. And where was she again in the lineup in the kids? Was she younger or older? I'm actually not entirely okay. sure. I, If I had to guess, I want to say she was younger. Yeah, that, that would track. I was curious. Total, totally, yeah. Like youngest sibling, younger sibling rebellion. But that's basically what's happening. She's getting in trouble in and out of school. She's skipping school. And she's running out of home a lot. And this is all before she's even a teenager. Like she's, it almost reminded me of the Mary Day case a little bit. Oh, right. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know it's just because it's Mary and Mary, but something about like, yeah, like a young troubled childhood um, military parent, like some of it seemed to align up until this point. So by the time Mary Vincent reached the age of 15, her parents started the process of a divorce and it was like getting bad. Oh my God. All the lights in my apartment just turned on. (laughs) Oh, God. Turned on or off? Turned on. Okay. I have them on a timer to turn on. I was going to say, if they all just (laughs) shut down, that might be a sign we have to reboot again at a later date. I know. I know. (laughs) So she's 15 years old. Her parents are starting a really nasty divorce and everything at home is just getting worse. There's some very serious like mutual abuse going on here between the parents and Mary eventually having been familiar up until this point with like running out, she finally runs away from home. And what's really sad about the story is it sounds like nobody really went looking for her. Mm. Nobody really followed after her, which is again, the same thing as Mary Day from what I remember. Yeah. And also keep in mind, it's the seventies. Wasn't Mary Day was like the nineties, right? No, I think she was the seventies too, or maybe the eighties. No, it was, I think it was 1980 when she disappeared. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So for a while, I think the original reports on this story, they suggested that she wasn't exactly alone when she ran away. I think she ran with a group of girls who were all kind of in a similar situation in Vegas where they came from a similar home life. Things were really difficult. They were kind of living on the streets for a while and then piling into somebody's car and then back living on the streets. And it was really rough, like 15 years old in Vegas in the 70s, just in the middle of nowhere. But there was one key point that I, I kind of took away from this story and what it seemed like her experience was kind of gearing up to. She became very familiar and very normal with hitchhiking, which would ultimately turn as dark as it possibly could. This is often referred to as like the, the cautionary tale as to why you don't hitchhike. Now, there was a brief period where Mary did live with her boyfriend at the time in California. I think he was a little bit older. I think he might have been in his 20s, and she was still 15 at this point. And he actually gets arrested and, like, dragged right out of their home, or his home, I guess, in California, for an alleged assault against another young girl. So once he's gone, Mary then returns back home to her original home in Vegas. But again, She's only there because she doesn't know what to do and things haven't really changed with her home life. So she's back out on the streets. Eventually, she goes back to California to Corona to live with her grandfather for a bit. Now, this part of the story, it always confused me a little bit and especially even just reading multiple points of research on this. It sounds like she wanted to leave her grandfather's because she was running out and she was like going to hitchhike her way back to Vegas, it sounded like. So whatever happened at her grandfather's, it sounded like it wasn't good. Mm. Like she's either getting kicked out or she has to run out. 
So she does. She makes her way all the way to Berkeley, California, and I think she meets up with other girls. Again, like another like small group of girls who are in the same boat. And they start walking along a highway in Berkeley, California, and they're trying to flag down cars so they can get another ride, right? Hitchhike to another town. At this point, she's just trying to go south. She's trying to get to LA first. When she made a fateful mistake. It was September 29th, 1978. And a van pulled up beside the girls and asked Mary Vincent specifically, where are you headed? Let us pause there. Because no, 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 no. Bad. Bad. Well, now I feel like I have to tell the creepers just right before we got on air, I had a moment in the street where somebody like was kind of asking me where I was going. It was just like immediately you get that your hair goes up on your the back of your neck that you're like in a weird situation. Yeah. Oh God, I know exactly how how that is. And like if your instinct That's what I was not, saying while you were telling me that story. Yeah. I was like, are you sure you don't want to tell this? Because it's it's kind of like a an early parallel to this story. I know. Oh my God. Because it's like your instinct. Oh, it's so sad because how old was she again? She's 15 still. Yeah. 15 at the time. So it's like that instinct is there that you know something's not quite right but when you're that young you're just kind of like and, and unless your parents haven't really hammered into you like stranger danger then you sometimes don't, I don't know even think that was the thing yet yeah. i think that happened to the 80s honestly oh, okay 80s 90s maybe yeah interesting yeah and that's why we always say the 70s were like the craziest era because it was like you know totally. no holds bar. it's the wild west yeah Oh, gosh. Well, it's true, too, that, like, I mean, this is really how she's kind of navigated the country thus far, hitchhiking, like asking strangers for rides. And a lot of them were probably men. So it's very, it feels very normal for her. And for whatever reason, her guard is kind of down. But it's it's interesting when she recalls the story, because in the story, the other girl she was with, they were like, don't go in that guy's van. Like they knew they they were same age as her, but they were like, something's not right. Mm-hmm. So the guy pulls up, right? And he goes, where are you headed? He is a middle-aged man. He's like a bit rough around the edges. Like he kind of, uh, very blue collar looking is the way he was described. And he's kind of imposing physically, but he has a very kind demeanor, like very friendly um, and warm. And he's kind enough to kind of stop and, you know, ask the girls like, where are they going? With all these cars that were passing and they've been out there for a while, like hitchhiking. So She's just excited that somebody stopped. His name was Lawrence or Larry Singleton. He was in his early 50s and he was a merchant seaman. Now, he explicitly told Mary that he only had room for one in his van, despite his van being almost entirely empty, which is a bad sign. That might have been the moment where the girls were like, do not go in that man's van. Yeah. Like he takes all of us or he takes none of us kind of thing. Actually, I have a picture. Hold on. Oh, God. How are you tracking so far? How we oh, do? I'm right here with you. I'm just like starting Ooh. to. Oh, God. Why? Oh, why didn't they stop her? <sighs> I know. I know. I mean, could you imagine like finding this out eventually what will happen in this story? Like finding that out later and knowing that like you were in like the crosshairs. You were in the crossfire of like something really evil that was going down. Yeah. And it seems like it would be so obvious to stop her but if the guy seemed super friendly i mean oh god this is like classic yeah, creepy van. i know let me actually send you a picture of lawrence the guy who picks her up i'll send you a picture of her but it will be later okay so this is a picture of lawrence oh lord describe him first impressions <laughs> um very well i know here he's probably much much older i would assume Surprisingly, he only lived to about 74. Okay. So he's either in his 60s or early 70s there. Well, he looks like I could see how he could portray himself as having a kind demeanor because he actually sort of mm-hmm. has like, this is so weird to describe him as, but he almost looks like a little clown-like or like a little, um, like, I, I don't know. I could see him being like creepy, kind. Like goofy? Yeah, like goofy sort of. Um, but yeah, he he definitely has some features that are prominent. <laughs> His, it's this like blank stare for me. Yeah. It's also, 
I don't I can't hold on, let me send you another picture actually I think this one better illustrates what it does for me but it, sometimes it's all context like sometimes like you see pictures of serial killers and if you have the prior knowledge of what they did oh. you're like oh terrifying <laughs> okay this picture is terrifying yeah these are all going to be up on reddit you guys just fyi oh God. i know i can but i'm telling you like as a young woman this is the type i know this type of guy like that that look and everything they definitely play into the like i'm just a Harmless, Harmless old man old trying man. to do something nice. Yes. You know what's really sad and devastating is that she would later say that he reminded her of her grandfather, which is part of why she felt comfortable to go in there. No, sweet girl. Oh, God. I know. So here's what we've got. This guy pulled up in the van. He's like, I've only got room for one. I'll take you to where you're headed. Like, I'm going down to Los Angeles as well. Like, I'm headed south. And the girls are like, please do not get in that guy's van. But she does so anyway. She gets in and it was the worst decision she could ever make. Hold on, I got to prop my arm up because I'm holding this travel mic (laughs) too low. (laughs) Now, the ride at first when they're in this van, Stu, it's like very relaxed. Like they're headed in the right direction, going towards LA. They're on a main road and they're just like making very casual conversation. He's seemingly non-threatening. And she even actually goes on to mention to him, like, you remind me of my grandfather, which just... Because I knew this story, hearing that part of it, that she said that to him, just killed me. So while they're driving, the first inclination here that something is kind of off with this guy, and maybe he's not as harmless as he seems, is that she sneezes in the passenger seat, and he immediately puts his hand to her neck, like hands on her, and then touches her cheek. And he's like, are you sick? And she's like super uncomfy right away because he's like really, really touchy, like very overly touchy. Mm -hmm. And she pulls away from him, but she doesn't immediately think that anything is very off, right? Or that he's dangerous, at least. She's just like, okay, he's a little touchy and creepy. And you can't forget, like, she's 15. But even at 15, she can tell when something doesn't feel right. It's just more so awkward and uncomfortable and less so dangerous. So she starts to relax and she even drifts off to sleep. When she wakes up a while later, she opens her eyes to something very different. They are driving off-road. So clearly, they're no longer on the highway, like headed to LA. And she it's kind of impressive because she acts almost immediately. She's like still kind of pretending she's asleep and like, using her hand that's furthest away from him and hidden to like feel around like is there anything near me that I can use to defend myself because I don't know what's going on here and she finds a sharp object like a stick in the car she jumps up and holds it like to his neck and she's like I don't know where you're going but you better get back on the road to LA right now because she's like full paranoia Mm -hmm. but he again he's like playing up that stick where he's like reassuring her that he's harmless he's like oh no 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 no. You're, you're misunderstanding like there was traffic. I thought there was a cut through and I've, I've gone this like back road before. He's like, I'll, I'll get back on the main road. He's like, it's fine. Please. Like it's, it's really just a misunderstanding. But her guard was like up, even though she believes him, she's still kind of like, okay, but just know like I'm watching you, buddy. Now they keep driving. They're back on the main road for at least this part of it. And eventually Lawrence is like, I have to stop at a rest stop because I have to use the bathroom. So they stop off at this rest stop. And while he's in the bathroom, or where she sees him go off to the bathroom, she actually gets out of his van and she starts to tie her shoes because she's like, okay, I've got a bad feeling, which is crazy. Her instincts were like, I I, I don't know if like (laughs) delayed is the right word, but like it took this long before she was like, something is off with this guy, but it was just a little too late. She gets out of the van and she's like, I have to tie my shoes because if he pulls like something again, I've got to be prepared to like jump out of the van and make a run for it. And I need to be ready for that. So while she's on the ground tying her shoes, she senses something behind her and a shadow comes up behind her in the light. And before she has a chance to look up from tying her shoes, she feels the sharp sting of a blow to the side of her head. Lawrence has whacked her in the head with a sledgehammer and she's on the ground unconscious. Let us pause there 
Oh. Because we're we're about to take a very serious turn. I mean, this is a real life horror movie. It's insane. It's I, I mean, it gets so much worse, Stu. I don't even I really, really do need to keep saying like creepers, Stu, please protect yourselves through this one because it's a really heavy case. But God, is it such an insane survival story? It's so wild. Oh, God. And Creepers, as you're listening, my God, it, this is a, just a good reminder for all of us to listen to your gut when you, if you ever get into a situation where you feel weird. Yeah. Seriously. And it sounded like, I mean, it very well could have been that, like, this was the moment after the sketchy thing of, like, waking up on the off-road where she was like, okay, the next time we're in, like, a place that's close to a main road where I can make a run for it, I'm going to do that. It almost sounded like this was her moment where she's like, all right, he's in the bathroom. Cool. I've got my bag. Let's tie my shoes. Let's like jump off into the woods and ditch this guy. It was just a little too late. Mm -hmm. It's a full abduction plot at this point. So she now realizes that she could potentially lose her life this night, but she's unconscious. She's been hit in the head. She woke up about an hour later. It's very different. She's back in the van. Her arms are tied to the walls inside the van, and they're now driving. She can see him driving through the windshield. They're off-road, even deeper, going into a canyon. So she has fully been kidnapped, and she has no idea what this guy is going to do to her. And what happens next, really over like the span of the next few hours, is Lawrence is just parking the van and then repeatedly sexually assaulting and beating Mary all night long until eventually and she's bound through pretty much all of this eventually i read this in another part of the reporting i think he she was unconscious and then regained consciousness and he gave her something he said drink this and it was some kind of an alcohol but he had drugged it so she falls completely unconscious again so there's no chance of like screaming kicking like she can't defend herself she's been drugged and this would go on all the way through the morning this is happening out in the woods So come morning, she is exhausted. She's on the ground outside of the van. She's been beaten horrifically, repeatedly assaulted. She's coming back to consciousness from being drugged. And she just says outright, please just set me free. And in that moment, Lawrence would utter the most chilling words that he could. Everybody refers to this in this case. He says, oh, you want to be free? I'll set you free. He then walks away from her and he comes right back from the van, raises a hatchet in the air (gasps) and hacks off one of her arms below the elbow. Oh my God. Now it's, it's go time. Like she is absolutely screaming, kicking. She's in full fight mode to save herself. Really? I mean, despite her exhaustion, like she is really struggling And the more she's struggling, the harder he is chopping at her arm. And at a certain point, she just described she went into shock from the pain and like what was happening to her. And the reason he was hacking her arms was because he was trying to eliminate any trace of evidence, any fingerprints, right? Mm -hmm. So she's aware he's going to try to kill her. Like she's going to die that morning. He hacks off one arm starts on the next. So at this point, she's on the ground. Her arms are mutilated and she has stopped moving intentionally to play dead. Even though she has all this blood loss, even through all the pain, because she knows her only chance is to play dead. Stu, he then kicks her body down a 30-foot cliff, which (gasps) hits the bottom. You know what? Let me send you a picture of the embankment. It's insane. It's insane. How you doing? Are you okay? No, I'm I'm just like, why do I feel like this is making the Tika Adams case like child's play it's, right it's now? It's on par. It's on I mean, par it's, for sure. Like this is crazy. Oh my God. So hold on. So he You saw the picture of the canyon? He has I, I see the canyon. He has hacked off one arm, then hacked off another, and then does he he lets her just sit there for a little bit and then she plays dead so that maybe he'll get rid of her. But little does she know he's going to get rid of her by throwing her down a 30-foot cliff. Oh, it's it's more than that, Stu. It's more than that. But yes, okay. she's at this point, she's playing dead. So he thinks that she's 
basically gone. Like she's died from blood loss because she has so much blood pooling out of her arms. It's it's just such a grisly sight. I won't get too, too deep into the details about like how, what her arms were described to look like, but they're basically completely gone. She gets kicked down this 30 foot cliff, hits the bottom, has to stay silent. He then makes his way down the cliff, picks up her body and stuffs her into a water pipe before muttering, now you're set free. <gasps> and then he takes off, assuming he just killed her and that she's been hidden and he's committed the perfect crime. What a sick, you know what? Psychotic. It's just so, when I get into the rest of this case, I need you to prepare for that as well for like the eventual outcome of like what happens to him. Yeah. So this all happens. She's conscious. She is gravely injured, bleeding out. She's stuffed inside of a water pipe in the dark. And she's got to figure out a way out of it. This was not the end of her story. So she's in there and she basically says, I have no leverage with my arms, of course, because I don't, they're gone. He's, he's taken the arms below the elbow. I have to shimmy my way out of the pipe. She kind of knocks herself down to the ground because don't forget, she just took a 30 foot fall too. But miraculously, her legs were not broken. She gets herself up to standing, no arms, and then starts to walk or climb really with just her feet back up the cliff to get to like the road level. And then she starts walking for help. It's then that she, she's hoping that somebody is going to do not look up anything. I I'm swear not, to God, I'm if not, you do. I'm not, baby. My, I can't even move right now. I literally can't move because I'm so scared. I'm literally I thought I heard a keyboard. I was like, no, don't you No, dare. I promise you. I would, baby, you know I wouldn't do that. I'm literally like holding. I've got my hand in between my thigh right now and I'm like shaking. Well, it gets even crazier if you can believe. Like she... Has no arms, but she's bleeding profusely. So what she did, which was actually incredibly smart, but I can't really imagine having the, I don't know, the mental through line to do this at 15. That's what I can't stress enough. 15 years old. She sticks what's left of her arms into like a really thick mud to coat them because they're bleeding so bad. It's the only way she can stop the bleeding. Coat the arms in mud. So she's back up the canyon and she has to walk several miles before she's going to get to any kind of like main road highway where she can maybe flag somebody down. But what she has to do while she's walking, she has to hold her arms above her head, not only to keep the blood in, but because her muscles are falling out of her body. Oh my God. Her biceps and triceps are oh. hanging out of her body. That literally makes me want to, I have like a weird complex with bicep muscles that really really is sending me right now it's it's a lot to take in i i will not lie like this is a lot i'm throwing your way in a very like fast and furious <laughs> method but i wouldn't do it unless i thought you could handle I it can hand i would not give you something i, I <laughs> thought you could not you, handle you primed <laughs> me with tika adams and um what what was her name the woman in the bathtub the oh shower. ellen halbert ellen oh. Halbert. oh god that's another one jesus so what's crazy about this is this does buy her enough time to basically stop the bleeding and she walks those three miles in this condition and finally a car does come and sees her and try to imagine what they're coming up upon. Basically, a young girl who is badly beaten, covered in blood and mud, holding two hacked off arms above her head. Car sees her, speeds off in fear and left her there. She's stranded. Surprisingly, this was not her only hope because another car did come. Two people in that car, they pass her, they rescued her, and they took her to the hospital. Now, despite her injuries, she did survive. She was given two prosthetic hooks eventually, which were used for her arms, and she becomes entirely committed towards trying to find and jail the man who did this to her. She said while she was walking and trying to like think of why, why survive? You know, why fight to survive? She just had this fire inside of her where she thought, if I don't survive this and put this guy in jail, he's going to do this to another girl. That kind of mental gonna, fortitude at 15 years old is pretty astounding. Like, wow. Can I send you a picture of her? <laughs> Baby, you know I'm itching for it, but I'm scared. I know, I know. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I it was really difficult to find any pictures of her before, which made sense, I think, with like the troubled childhood. And it seemed like her parents weren't really a part of the picture for most of it. But this is after her recovery and she's still a teenager. She was given two prosthetic hooks for her arms. Oh my God. Poor freaking thing. Holy crap. They actually, they repaired part of her arm, I think, with using a piece of her leg, which was kind of devastating because, I mean, the whole thing is devastating, but she was previously dreaming of being a dancer. Like, oh my God, do you hear that car alarm going? <laughs> They're listening to the episode right now. They are. They're in their car. <laughs> Creeped. Oh my God. <laughs> We should do like a live stream one day. Let's get a Twitch. Creep time Twitch. Oh my God. And we'll do like a live podcast. We would be off our rocker. <laughs> I mean, on a survival case, 1000%. Yeah. It's not safe. It is unsafe. <laughs> you know, what's so awful is that as I looked at that photo, I was thinking, oh, you know, well, at least he really only got her from like kind of her forearm down. And then I just remembered you said it was starting at her freaking bicep like that is so much blood that she was losing so and how smart of her to freaking dip her arms in the mud to basically make like a makeshift tourniquet that's really i would never i would never even think of that to like pack a wound with mud but i guess i guess oh my god that car alarm i'm gonna die what (laughs) who is out there who's doing it it's the ice cream man please i almost chased him down last night Anywho, so I'll get back on track with Mary's case. So despite these injuries, like I said, she does survive. She is given those two prosthetic hooks for her arms, and then it becomes her life mission. I am going to find the guy who did this to me. And surprisingly, it did not take all too long to locate him because I guess he had a routine of sort of abducting other girls and maybe assaulting them. But clearly, like he had intentions. He's like, I'm going to kill this girl. So they find Lawrence. He is their main suspect. They track him down. He's apprehended. And I think that's the second picture that I sent you of him is what you see. Like when he's finally arrested or like going in and out of prison or court, Mm -hmm. it's around that time. She goes to court to testify against him. And allegedly what he whispered to her was so disturbing as she passed him. He said, I'm going to finish the job if it takes the rest of my life. I'm going to finish the job. His brain actually needs to be studied. I don't know if they ever have, but or whenever he dies, but what a absolute sicko psycho person. Stu, if you can believe it, he is sentenced to only eight years in prison with the option for parole. What? Eight years for taking two arms from a teenager that he abducted that he raped, and that he intended to kill, kicked her down a cliff. Eight years. Okay. Um. Oh, my God. I can't even process that. I know. I know. It's, well, that's what happens, and it's absolutely devastating. I think Mary Vincent at the time, there, were, there was a lot of, like, national hype around this case at the time, and there was a lot of protest against the sentencing. I don't know why that was the outcome of it, but... Basically, she goes into hiding, right? Like It's devastating for her as the victim, as the one who survived this. And he has to be transported to like a separate um, prison somewhere else because there is such a heightened threat that he's going to be killed from one of the protesters, like in transit. Mm. Very, very possible. High, highly likely. So he ends up going to prison for those eight years. And then, of course, he gets out. Um, because of his parole. He is out on good behavior and was actually a teacher in prison, which is crazy. But it became really difficult to place him in like a parole location because, again, nobody had really forgotten who he was and what he did. Nobody wanted to be around him. Neighbor, Entire neighborhoods were protesting like, he's a dangerous like monster. He hacked off this woman's arms. Like, he can't be in this neighborhood. So it became really, really tough to find a spot for him. And eventually... I think what they did was they put him in like a trailer outside of another prison and he would spend one year in parole after that one year. He's a free man. Walks free. Isn't that insane? What in the world? I'm 
I actually like really am going to study this after we get off today because I am absolutely shocked. If anything from like a legal perspective yeah, to figure out what, like, what the hell went wrong. Yeah. It's crazy, too, because this is not the end of the story. I will preface, this is not the end of this story. But it's crazy to think, like, what comes after and, like, how light this sentence was in comparison to, like, the latter half of the story. But I'll keep going. I'll keep pressing on. So he can't really go anywhere, even though he's a free man, because he has this grisly history. But there are some parts of the country, because this technically happened on the West Coast, that have kind of forgotten him or don't really know much about him, because almost like a decade has passed, right? And it was the 70s to the 80s, so he's not really... News coverage doesn't travel as fast as as it did, or it, it does now. So he goes back to his home state, which is in Florida. And what's odd is that the people who were around him at the time, they described him as, like, the perfect neighbor. Isn't that so disturbing? Like, he was friendly, going over to, like, people's doors, making people food, There was even a couple who had like a two-year-old daughter who didn't know who he was. And they said, we would talk with him all the time and like let our daughter like play in his yard with his dog. We had no idea. It almost sounds like it's, oh God, from a psychological perspective, it's like he knew he had this deep, dark desire and then was just like trying to cover it up by like doing things that were seemingly, you know, like Mm -hmm. good. Being like... Good, yeah, goodlier than thou. Yeah. Like he's just trying to like overcompensate for like the darkest crevice totally, of his mind. Totally. That in theory, he thinks he's rehabilitated, but he would learn that these sort of impulsions to want to hurt or harm never left his head. So the neighbors, they think he's all all right and fine. He's pretty normal. He's a bit older at this point. He's like close to his sixties because a decade has passed. And then nothing really seems off or odd about him until one specific day where neighbors notice him going rapidly, like in and out of his car and then into his house. And they're like catching this through the window and they're like, "Mm, something seems kind of off with him. Maybe we should like call police for like a wellness check or something because he seems very frantic. So police do show up. What they do find is that he was trying to basically make a makeshift pipe that would lead to his car so he could fill his car with carbon monoxide. To take his life. Oh, jeez. So he very clearly, I think at this point, is still fighting with internal demons mm-hmm. and just could not find a way out from like what was going on inside his head. But basically, what that kind of gives him is another chance because he is removed from his home and he's placed in a psychi- psychiatric facility where he is then once again, in theory, rehabilitated. And what's crazy is that I think even through his trial, his original trial with Mary Vincent and up to this point, he had actually tried to push a story that he was innocent and that his attack on Mary Vincent was self-defense. Oh, this is someone with like, I don't know what that would be. Not Maybe not schizophrenia or something, but this is somebody that's got two different things happening at once. Totally. I mean, he's living in an alternate reality or he's just trying to com- like completely fabricate a story. But what he used as the jumping off point, I think he knows what he's doing because what he said was that when originally he had tried to take that back road and she like pulled a sharp object to his neck and she was like, buddy, you get back on the road to L.A. He was like, she tried to like harm me. And like we had like a full like wrestle in, in the van and I had to defend myself. So he chopped off her arms and kicked her down. Right. It's just so stupid. What's crazy, Stu, this will blow, like, flip your freaking lid. Same with you, Creepers. He tried to counter-sue her in court. Counter-sue her. How, again, from a legal perspective, how does a judge not... Oh, it was dis- it was dismissed. Okay, good. I mean, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I like, tossed say. out. They were like, <laughs> baby... The day, the day is early. Let's stop the foolery. I was going to say, it's, it's awful. Who, who in county police is the judge on this case? Truly, could you imagine if Nancy was around back then? Oh my god, she oh, the supreme leader, Nancy, <laughs> Nancy Grace. <laughs> she would have a lot to say. I'm sure she still does. But like I said, this is not the end of the story. So he gets placed back at the psychiatric facility after he tried to take his life. He gets out, kind of relocates, is bouncing around. He doesn't really have another major incident for years after this until 1997. This is when he encountered another woman. 
So he was living someplace else and he invited a woman named Roxanne. I think her name was Roxanne Hayes. She was a mother of three who was working as a sex worker at the time who Lawrence had hired. She came over to his home and apparently an argument broke out of sorts. And the only reason that people actually knew about this was because he was having a painter come to his home that day who happened to catch through a window, saw Lawrence strangling her and then repeatedly stabbing her. Repeatedly stabbing her in the neck. Rather than this guy running in to save her, he ran away. He ran like to his car and then to town to call police. Oh, God. Well, I'm sure he was thinking, if I go in there, I might get killed or something, which, of course, I mean, you're in full fight or flight, but not the best move. He might have even thought that it was too late by the time he arrived yeah. if he's seeing her being repeatedly stabbed in the neck. But police do come to Lawrence's house and Lawrence, like, gets to the door. He's covered in blood and police are like, okay, they draw their guns. They're like, something serious happened here. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I was cutting vegetables. I cut my finger a little bit. I'm just bleeding everywhere. Literally in the background of his home, they can see her on the ground bleeding out. What in? She was was completely dead at this point. Like, basically mutilated, this woman. Okay, continue. (laughs) Well, police, of course, they go in, they apprehend him, and they go to inspect the woman to see, like, is is there any chance she could survive? She was so badly beaten by him her fingers were described to have been ripped off from the fight. Like literally snapped off the hand. And so many stab wounds. And of course, she would succumb to those wounds. This mother of three, she did not survive the attack. Now, this put him back into the court systems because, of course, he would be tried for this. And people came knocking at Mary Vincent's door. And they said, we need your testimony from 1978 about what he did to you. She was more than happy to show up in court. And I actually have a picture of her testifying to this in court. Oh my God. Looking him in the, that was her big thing too. She always said she was like, I wanted to go back to court so I could look him in the eyes. She said it was the one thing that I never got during my attack because when he was hacking off my arms, I was looking at my arms. I never looked him in the eyes and I wanted to go back to court to face him and look at him. You know what's so funny about that statement? It probably served her well to not look him in the eyes when he was doing that because clearly he has some sort of uh, just like weird emotional kind of like he, he does want to be good but then does this whole like rationalizing of his evil attacks. Like this guy absolutely is off. Well, it's funny you say that because he actually tried to put up a defense in court about this attack in 1997 against the sex worker in his home. He said that, again, same story as Mary Vincent. He said, no, she attacked me. He said she grabbed like a knife in the house and held it to his neck and said she was going to cut his head off. So he said, I had to defend myself and I just started wrestling with her. And in, in the midst of wrestling with her, I had stabbed her in the neck. Like, it's a complete, like, bull story. Mm-hmm. And he said they actually embraced as she was bleeding out. Yeah, he's got he's got really serious, like, uh, either control issue or once... I, I'm curious what the hell his backstory is. I know. I, I mean, I wish I kind of did extra research on it, mm-hmm. but it, it's not really... It's less interesting and fulfilling for me to like research the actual perpetrator and like humanize them, although it can be really fascinating. Like, I I remember reading about the Night Stalker and like some of what his background was and what his father used to do to him, like as punishment when he was a kid, tie him up in a tree in the woods and leave him there overnight. That's the thing. You like in a case like this, you don't even want to dignify really there. There's really no excuse. I don't care what the yeah. hell you went through there. I mean, this is just like to me, it just gives it colors it more. Yeah, even it just so, I mean, it, it just, oh, something definitely happened to him. There is no way that this person just came to be like, there was something that happened that created him. But it's interesting because it kind of reminds me of like the weepy voice killer almost like he kills but then he like panics after and he's like, what have I done? 
oh my God, almost like he's trying to justify, like, I'm not in control of that. That's like another side of me. Mm -hmm. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. That's something else that just like happens. It feels like the same thing. Yeah. Well, it's somebody who unfortunately has light in them, but they don't, they let the darkness overcome it or like it, unfortunately. Hold on. Just getting out my pen so I can write that down for merch. (laughs) What was it again? Someone who has the light in them, but they let the darkness overcome it. I can't be I'm, trivial I'm about so, this. I can't I'm be trivial. So profound. I know. We're, we're creepers. <laughs> that was profound. Creepers. When we're, we have to have little bits of giggles here and there, but we're taking this very seriously. Jesus. I mean, extraordinarily seriously. Yeah. Of course. I mean, it, it really is. It's a revelation towards the end of the story because, and we are at the end. But for all of what happened, and really, it just goes to show that it was a huge huge miscalculation with the initial um, judgment to put him away for eight years. He was never rehabilitated. He was never a safe person. And he killed another woman. He harmed and eventually killed this woman. So when Mary Vincent is tapped to go back to court and testify, she certainly does. She tells the entire courtroom her story every step of the way. And that testimony would land him on death row. He was sentenced to death but would sadly never see that judgment because he died of cancer in 2001 at the age of 74. Mm. It's a really unfair end to the story because he really never saw justice. You know, like he, Mary Vincent never got what she deserved, which was one, she was actually awarded a settlement from him, which I don't know. I don't know why that happens, why the courts award settlements from like, the killer because he doesn't have any money like what yeah that's what i was just i was like what what kind of money would he even have to give her at this point it doesn't make any sense yeah he was she was awarded like 2.5 million dollars and it's like well she's not gonna see that money so are we just doing this for like giggles i don't get it yeah weird i wonder if they um uh like take away his assets or something and they've i, I don't know how that works sell the van yeah <laughs> literally i know well Really, though, I mean, Mary Vincent, she's gone on. She's an advocate and she has, you know, spoken throughout her entire life talking about her story and what happened to her. And she really became very functional with um, what was left of her arm. She actually became an artist because she learned to draw and paint with the hooks uh, that were attached to her arms. She still struggled, of course, throughout the years, mostly with paranoia because she knew that one day he was going to be a free man. And there was a period of time where she actually went into hiding and became a bit of a recluse because she was so terrified that he would be, you know, stay good on his word and say, I will finish the job. If it takes the rest of my life, I will find you and I will finish you. You can't go through something like that at 15 and not have just like such horrific moments later on as an adult. I feel so bad for her. Absolutely. Absolutely. She had also, she had struggled a bit, you know, of course, with mental health on her own. Mm -hmm. She had talked about, she struggled with an eating disorder for years, um, which she said was fueled from like some of her extreme paranoia. But eventually that moment for her in court to go back to court in the late nineties and testify against him, look him in the eyes and know once and for all, I'm sitting in the seat now. I'm calling the shots. I'm telling the real story of what happened here. And I am going to put you on death row. And she did. Were you at all prepared for the story of Mary Vincent? Was this something you anticipated this Friday morning? Not at all. Um, I truly, I thought she was going to die for sure. When you and so oh, while course, you started yeah. telling the story, I was like, "Well, this sort of sounds like she lives." Um, the concept, first of all, I cannot get over the concept of her being thrown down off of a cliff basically i know and surviving oh my God. This. i mean forget the blood loss i mean that in and of itself is just mind-blowing to me and then this is really how you know he's such a sick f is that he went back down to like make it even worse like i guess he went down to check and make sure she really you know he thought she was gone but shoving her in a damn pipe like a wa- like a water like pipe yeah like 
what in the world? Thank God she went back and testified and they put him on death row. I mean, I, I, oh God. You know what's crazy? I I remember in high school, this was, how old were you when you remember like people saying like, you never hitchhike, never get into a stranger's car. Like we must've been young, right? I think I legitimately popped out of the womb and my parents were like, (laughs) don't ever get in the back of a car. (laughs) Yeah. Like, of course. Of course, I, I do remember um, in high school hearing a story from somebody in my grade, and it was from her mom that she had an experience kind of similar to this, where she was hitchhiking in the 70s or 80s, and she got into somebody's truck, and the guy pulled out a, like a pocket knife and like threatened her, and he was like, here's how this is going to go. And he's the one driving. She grabbed a beer bottle, smashed it in his face, literally broke his nose. And then he stopped the truck because of that, because he was like, oh, my God, she jumped out and ran, made a run for it, got away. Oh, that's the thing. So scary. You've, you've got to act like fast in those situations because that, that. Oh, now you're bringing me back. That's the thing that my parents always used to say to me is that really once you're in the vehicle with them, like your mm-hmm. chances of surviving are so just slim or like if they have oh, such a horrible thing. I know. I know. So. I, I probably was like sitting there like drawing on my freaking doodle bear and I'm listening to my parents tell me. Maybe you were playing light bright and you were like, never hitchhike, never get in the car. It's not trivial, but geez, I mean, yeah, it's it's so real. And back then they really nobody was thinking like that. Nobody was indoctrinating their kids with those thoughts. So I'm just so glad she survived. Of course. Yeah. I, do you ever think about, um, sometimes I run through these scenarios. I was like, well, what if I actually needed not to hitchhike necessarily, but like sometimes I run through my own paranoia scenarios. Again, this goes back to the panic button <laughs> where I'm like, what if I was being chased and I had to like have somebody call 911 and I had to like bang on somebody's door. If somebody banged on my door screaming, call 911, I would first hide under a desk. I would be so scared. And then I would discreetly try to call 911 like I would never let them in so I think about that sometimes with like hitchhiking because for example I was at um this beach and my car got stuck in the sand and I was with Mel and we were trying to flag down random people to like help tow us out and finally this guy did stop with a truck he could definitely tow us out but it was like totally this weird like back and forth experience of like I don't know you you don't know mm-hmm. me I need the help. But he was also scared of us. He was like, I don't know if this is a scheme to like get my guard down and get me out of my truck. And then you guys like (laughs) jump me at this like remote beach. And he like wouldn't let us in his truck. Like it was a very, it was definitely that thing where we're both like stranger danger, even as adults, like stay away from each other. But like, also I need your help. Yeah. Well, it's really like you have to monitor your instinct for like genuine kindness like is this person genuinely kind or like is there an ulterior motive here which was that's so hard to gauge because you i know you you like to see the best in people and it's i'm the same way it's it's just hard see the best in people baby i have a panic button <laughs> but you <laughs> baby you do see that no but you see the good in people you see i do see i do. Good in I do i'm just teasing <laughs> You, you know what? That's what you need. You need you need a blown out panic button where when you first meet someone, if you're not feeling the vibe, you just panic button them. You just blow them out. Well, here's what I do. I mean, if I'm ever meeting somebody for the first time, like one on one, I usually share my location with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'll also set like a timer that sounds like a ringtone on my phone. So it'll go off and I'll be like, oh, hold on. I'm getting a call, which gives me an opportunity one way or another. It could be like a benign call or it could be like, oh, my God, what? Yeah. I gotta go. I gotta go. His house is burning or something. I should have done that earlier. <laughs> I go, I gotta go. His house is burning. <laughs> they go, who? Don't worry about it, baby. <laughs> it's on fire. His house. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, you know what I just learned? Bryce listens to After Dark. <gasps> Bryce. Uh, now, yes. Now, Br- Bryce, with his bone to pick with your Southern <laughs> accent, I bet it's. <laughs> You better have let that go I told him about now. that. <laughs> I, well, he he was like, he doesn't, he can't handle the true crime stuff, but he listens to After Darks because it's all like comedy. And he was cracking up um, listening to the episodes. And I was like, I hope you know there's an episode of 
Creep Time, the podcast, where I talked about how you tried to get me into the sequoias to go find a bear. And I like fully cuss you out on Creep Time. And he was like, <laughs> no, you don't. You're lying. And I was like, baby, I'm not. And if you want to find it, you got to listen to the whole catalog, season one and two, honey, <laughs> if you want to find that moment. Oh, my God. Well, baby, just make it a premium episode. Then uh, he'll really go. have to go digging. Also, thanks to all of the recent premium subscribers on Creep Time, the podcast, which is still coming to Apple 2024. We are going to have premium there as well. But for all of those who joined on Spotify, I think we just added, I think we're we're up 300 brand new premium subscribers since the start of the year, which is amazing. That is so crazy. Thank you guys so much. It just makes me so excited to keep making more content for you guys. And like, please, please, please keep sending us requests and like, we want to cover the cases that you send that you want to hear because you seem to have an endless bank. <laughs> Every time I'm like, they're going to dry out. I'm like, they've got nothing. Like, I-, I know I'm all, they throw something my way. And they're like, have you heard of this? And I'm like, never, never once have I heard of that. There um, is one case I'm like literally requesting as we're like live on air. There's a case that you... <laughs> Let me get my notepad, honey. Hold on. <laughs> that you have teased that I see the creepers tease. Um... Is it a what is Elisa a, Lamb? Oh, well, you, you have to know that story, don't you, you? You've given me the top line a couple of times, but I don't know why I keep thinking about that. I know it was like the hotel, right? That's in LA. Oh, yeah, the Cecil Hotel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, Didn't we, did we, did we go to it or pass it while you were here? I know that was like loosely a plan. I can't, I think we were gonna, well, I think we were saying someday we'd stay there, which. Oh my, God I wanted to, us. I wanted to, you know what? We could do that, honestly, <laughs> with these travel mics. We could go there. We could rent a room and we could stay. Well, she stayed in the hostel. She was in a hostel because they- now it's a very different setup there because if you don't know the history of that building, it used to be like low-income housing for the homeless, I think back in the 90s. And it became like a breeding ground for a lot of nefarious things that were going down. People were dying every other day or they were killed in there. People um, you know, were doing hard drugs, selling drugs, and it just became like, really like a wreck of a building. And then it got taken over and part of it was made into a hotel. And then part of it, it couldn't violate like the city code. It still had to become, it still had to remain like low income housing. Mm -hmm. So it was very strange, like part hotel, part like project housing, very odd. But they had some rooms there that were like joint rooms. And Elisa was first removed from the joint room because everybody complained about her saying something's off with this girl. Yeah, I'm going to need to hear that one eventually. <laughs> I've, it's been on the calendar for a long time. It's just, it always kind of like moves because I'm like, oh, that'd be great for like a really big like special or if we did it for like a, like a finale or something. But I'm not really sure where it is on the calendar now. So Creepers, stay tuned. Or you know what? Maybe it will even become a premium episode. Who knows? I don't. I have the full calendar. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, Creepers, I definitely don't know. So I'm with y'all. <laughs> The thing is, like, you have the link to the, to the calendar, <laughs> too. You just actively, you're like, I'm going to blind react to yeah, everything. <laughs> well, I don't like to, because you see, it's the thing where you're like, don't go looking for pictures, because I'm, you know, for I'm, real. Nancy, I'm Nancy Stu. I'll go sleuthing. You're Nancy Stu, honey. Did the pictures help this time totally. around? Were they good? Oh, my God. Okay. And this, I've had the photo up of her testifying, just like as we've been talking. Isn't that insane? That's an incredible. I mean, I know that this is like a pretty grainy picture, but if somebody has a legit, like, big blown up photo, I mean, that's an incredible photograph, actually. Absolutely. I would say it's, I mean, I know there has to be a better version of it somewhere because you can almost tell from the background, like, that is a, like, a professional photo. It's just been compromised quality wise, but it's probably one of the most powerful pictures in, like, true crime. Mm I would say like it's a very iconic photo of Mary Vincent sitting on the stand in the 90s, putting him on death row, her attacker. It's incredible. Thank God she survived. Wow. I know. To tell this story too, and just that sheer thought of like, if I don't survive, no matter how painful it is, no matter how like beaten I am right now, if I don't survive, he's going to do this again. That's the reason to survive. It's insane. insane. Well, I want to thank you, Stu, for sitting through that. I know that was a hefty and dark and sinister episode to get through for a Friday, but I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the Creepers for listening to it with us. 
we are going to be back. We have an After Dark episode that's coming out tomorrow, another Creep Time the Podcast episode coming out next Friday, and I'm sure another episode of The Sinister will be dropping sometime soon, I believe. But thank you again, everybody, for all of the support, all of the listening. And with that, we're going to catch you guys on the next one. So we will say goodbye. And good luck, (laughs) y'all. Bye, everybody. Bye, Creepers.